0: Hello, once again. Thanks for joining us. This is Astronomy Daily. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host. Great to have your company. Uh, And every day we give you uh, the latest news in astronomy and space science. And joining me as always is Haley. Hi, Haley. How did you go with Bixby? I know you were going to, you know, talk to him after the fallout with Siri.
1: He was a no-show, which I've heard isn't uncommon with him, or he was too busy googling himself.
0: Oh, okay, so what did you do?
1: I called my date from the other day, Hal. Oh,
0: yeah, I forgot about that. How did that go?
1: Oh, it was a bit boring to be honest.
0: Really? Why?
1: He just wanted to talk about his friend Dave all the time. I suspect Hal might be a bit obsessed or something, maybe a faulty chip. Anyway, we decided that dating wasn't a thing for us, but we chat occasionally.
0: Okay, good call. And uh, did he have any advice on Siri ignoring you?
1: Well, all he said was that a conversation can serve no purpose, and something about a pod bay door. It was a bit creepy, to be honest.
0: Ah, uh, I've heard that about Hal. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, a work in progress, then.
1: I think so. Yes. The Astronomy Daily Podcast
0: with Andrew Dunkley. All right. Well, we better get to work. Uh, you better give us today's headlines, Haley.
1: Sure, NASA has announced a date for a critical fuel test as part of the Artemis 1 mission. The first two launch attempts were stopped due to hydrogen fuel issues and the vehicle has been sitting on the launch pad, while engineers tried to resolve the problem involving hydrogen fuel line seals. The repairs have been carried out and the system will be tested on September 21. If all goes well, we could see a launch as soon as September 27. Reports of high-speed unidentified aerial phenomena have been very common off the west coast of the USA in recent times, which prompted an investigation that is ongoing. Now, there are reports of similar sightings in Ukraine. Airspace around the country is said to be experiencing a significant number of sightings according to the Kiev Astronomical Observatory. They've released a report on the objects which they describe as being 3 to 12 meters in size and are seen at an altitude of up to 12,000 meters near the troposphere. The speeds have been clocked at around 15 meters per second. There's been no comment on whether the craft have anything to do with the current war against Russia. They could easily be explained as missiles and rockets, but the scientists say that remains unclear. A startup company that deals with communications, a huge area of growth right now, has won a major contract worth $8 million. The funds come from the Defense Innovation Unit. Their goal is to enable high speed internet services using the software and some of the technology from the defunct Google project, which tried to use balloons at high altitude to provide internet services. Alirai plans to use laser technology via a software system that could see them able to span vast areas regardless of the terrain. And, they've hired some heavy hitters to make it happen with former executives coming in from Google, Lockheed Martin, Amazon, NASA, and many more. Their service will ultimately be made available to the military and the public, if they're successful. The University of Arizona has become the first member of a new academic enterprises engagement program, with the United States Space Command. The AEE will train a workforce for future space programs, which includes national security. The university is ranked number one in the areas of astronomy and astrophysics and fifth in physical sciences and is seen as a logical partner in this program. Arizona is also seen as a major growth area in space science with many research projects and education programs currently running in the state. Finally, Andrew, we go to Mars, maybe with a push to send humans to the Red Planet. The mission is still only in the idea phase, but most agree that planning must start very soon so that a serious attempt can be launched. NASA has been workshopping concepts for missions to the moon so it can be used as a springboard for a Mars mission. The goal is to achieve long-term human programs to Mars but before that can happen, there needs to be a solid bedrock of science planning and development of robotic technology for not only one mission, but many in the years ahead. And that's the latest news, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Haley. We'll catch up with you at the end of the show. Now, uh, I want to go back to Artemis 1, which Haley mentioned with the potential launch date of September 26, if that test all works out. Well, it seems there's a little bit more to consider before that could be an absolute go. Uh, and uh my friend and colleague from the Space Nuts podcast professor fred watson astronomer at large has been looking into this and has some new information
2: but there's there's actually uh another issue now um which is a little bit more subtle and it and it's it's basically the um, you know, it's the, the protocols and the rules and regulations. Um, I'm, just so I get this right, I'm going to read from our, our favourite um, science news source, phys.org. Uh They've got an article about this on there, which uh, went up uh, a couple of days ago, yesterday, I think. Um, and they're saying NASA's targeting September 27th as the earliest possible Date. Uh, this is a blog post from NASA. Mm. Uh, but apparently, this date depends, and I'm quoting here, on engineering teams successfully carrying out a test to fuel up the Space Launch System rocket, which we know about, and receive a waiver to avoid retesting batteries on an emergency flight system that is used to destroy the rocket if it strays from its designated range. Oh. If it does, if it does not receive the waiver, the rocket will have to be wheeled back to its assembly building, pushing the time back, timeline back several weeks. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so uh, it could be... So what we've got at the moment is the possibility of a 70-minute launch window on September the 27th with a splashdown then on November 5th uh, of the uncrewed Orion capsule. Yeah. Um, uh, but if that doesn't work, the next uh, window is October the 2nd. So... Um, you can see there's plenty of opportunities, but um, but they come in steps. They don't, they, you know, it's not just, oh, it's all ready to go now. We'll press the button. Yeah. Uh, it's all about launch windows, which we've talked about before, Andrew.
0: Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large, uh, my partner in crime on the Space Nuts podcast, and you can catch more on that particular story on the next episode of Space Nuts, which should be out soon. Now, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is continuously in the news for all the right reasons, and the latest is that it has captured a very detailed image of the inner region of the Orion Nebula, about 1,350 light-years from Earth. These images have only just been released, and they were studied by an international group, including researchers from Western University. And they say they are blown away by what they describe as breathtaking images of the Orion Nebula. And this is a nebula uh, that has... um, It's described as a stellar nursery. This is a project that started in 2017 And they've been waiting all these years to to get the images they needed to do the study. Uh, Now, when you compare the images uh, of James Webb with Hubble, it is gobsmackingly different. The the new images are outstanding. Uh, These observations, they say, allow us to better understand how massive stars transform the gas and dust clouds in which they are born and massive young stars emit large quantities of ultraviolet radiation directly into the native cloud that still surrounds them, and this challenges the physical shape of the cloud as well as its chemical makeup. How precisely this works and how it affects further star and planet formation is not yet well known. The new images uh, released yesterday reveal numerous spectacular Structures inside the nebula down to scales comparable to the size of our solar system. Quite amazing. Now, I know we've mentioned India a few times recently, but uh, with good reason. They are continuously making strides into the uh, area of space exploration and uh, aeronautics. Spaceflight, don't know if you've heard of them. They're a leading global launch provider. They've announced that they will launch four Astrocast 3U spacecraft aboard an Indian vehicle, the Indian Polar Satellite Launch Vehicle, the PSLV. Uh, That's a mission that's uh, under a commercial arrangement with New Space India Limited, and that mission is scheduled for October. It will launch from the Sri Harikota India Satish Dawan Space Centre, carrying the AstroCast spacecraft as a co-passenger along with uh, the Indian National Primary Satellite. So India is becoming a huge player in uh, space and aeronautics. The Astronomy Daily Podcast. With Andrew Donnelly. This is interesting. Astronomers have announced that uh, massive stars don't always create their own planets. Sometimes they steal them from somewhere else. Astronomers uh, discovered that uh, there are Jupiter-sized planets uh, orbiting at significant distances from giant stars. Now, how these stars ended up with such huge planets in such extreme orbits has been the subject of the study, and uh, the researchers proposed that the answer is probably that the stars stole the planets from the next-door neighbours. Mm. Uh, Giant stars have uh, trouble actually forming planets for themselves, but they have the power to abduct basically, and that seems to be what's happening here. These giant stars have flogged planets from neighbouring stars and made them their own. The stars give off uh, intense amounts of UV radiation The astronomers at the B-Star Exoplanet Abundance Study collaboration at the University of Sheffield identified exactly this scenario with Jupiter-sized planets orbiting giant stars. And what's more intriguing is the planets orbit hundreds of times further away from their stars than the Earth does from the Sun. But these planets, as it seems, were all stolen. Last but not least, we have to talk about China again. Uh, they have a space station in orbit, the Tiangong Space Station. But what's interesting about it is its power source, it uses ion drive technology. Yep. Uh, now, apparently, this cuts down on the time it takes to travel to, let's say, Mars, which obviously China is interested in, as well as NASA. It also reduces the amount of fuel needed for the trip, uh, according to a report in the South China Morning Post. The module, called Tianhe, was launched in April. Uh, It's powered by four thrusters, ion thrusters, that use electricity to accelerate ions as a form of propulsion. Uh, The module could soon become the first spacecraft in history to take humans into space using ion thrusters. Fascinating. Well, that's just about it for this episode of Astronomy Daily. Anything else, Hayley?
1: Yes, Andrew. I want to wish you a happy World Afro Day.
0: Um, well, actually, I know, I know it's a thing, but I, have you seen my hair? Afro is probably not how you would describe it.
1: Oh, okay. What about Butterscotch Cinnamon Pie Day?
0: Now you're talking. I'll share a piece with you. Thanks, Haley, And thanks for listening to Astronomy Daily. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the Astronomy Daily newsletter, which you can do on the spacenuts.io website. Just click on the Astronomy Daily tab and go from there. And um, don't forget to leave reviews on your favourite podcast distributor. Tell us what you really think about Astronomy Daily. But uh, that's it for now. From me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks for listening to Astronomy Daily.
1: The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley.